Let's pray one more time as we approach God's word. God, it's such a delight to worship you. It's such an honor and a privilege to be gathered with your people, bearing the name of Christ, filled with your Holy Spirit, and with your word in front of us. Father, we believe that by your word, the heavens and the earth were created. We believe that by your word, we were called from death into life, given new hearts, forgiven for our sins, saved, regenerated, and rescued from wrath and hell. We believe that your word speaks and things that don't exist come into existence. And we believe that we have that very word in front of us this morning and that we are about to look at it and to handle it and to hear it. And so we ask that you would increase our faith in hearing your word uh, so that we may be transformed into your glorious image. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 16 to 18 this morning. You call this sermon, The Father of Lights Shines on Us. The Father of Lights Shines on Us. We'll read that together in just a minute. Uh, What a beautiful, sunshiny day in Durango. I heard in Holly's prayer about the sun glistening on the snow. Just love the snow. It's one of the things I love about Durango is how often the sun shines here. It's either just dumping snow or it's shining the sun. And uh, while we were visiting family in the Northwest this last summer, one of my nephews commented on some of the pictures that we as a family post on social media. And he said, it's just like the sun shines all the time down there or something. And I said, I mean, it kind of does. It really, and it was shocking to me. It reminded me to be thankful for it. It's usually either snowing or sunny here. When I was at the church uh, on Thursday writing this sermon, uh, there was a lady standing in the neighboring parking lot out back where I had parked, and she was just standing out there. And it was really a bitter cold morning on Thursday. And uh, I just commented, oh, it's brisk this morning. And, and she said, yeah, but the sunshine. She, so she was just, she said, I'm just standing out here soaking up the sunshine. She was just taking it in. And uh, then as I was in the middle of writing this, actually this introduction, I got a phone call in my study, and just instinctively I walked out and sat on that couch out there because it's right where the sun is shining through the window and it's warm and those black couches just radiate out the heat. And uh, Solomon comments on this, on how pleasant the sunshine is. In Ecclesiastes he says, light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. There's just something sweet and pleasant about the sun and about the light that comes particularly from the sunshine. It even gives your body vitamins that your body needs when you sit in the sunshine. There's actually stuff that happens when the sunlight hits your eyes that triggers systems in your body that produces serotonin, which makes you happy and sets your circadian rhythms and does all kinds of stuff to you. And it's amazing that we can actually feel the sun on our face some 93 million miles away is coming down and we can feel the warmth of it on our skin. And that's the picture that James paints for us in our passage 
this morning. He wants you to think about light that shines down from heaven and what a blessing it is. He reminds us to be grateful, not just for the light from the sun, but for what that represents beyond itself for the Father of lights. The God who is light. The God who, in a sense, gives birth to all light that exists. That's why James calls him the Father of lights. God is the source of all light without any darkness at all in him. And that blessing is showered down on us from him. Just like the sun shines its light down us and we can feel it and we're blessed by it in all kinds of ways, so all the more the goodness of God, the Father of lights, his goodness is constantly pouring down on us and we are to be thankful for it. Light is such a significant thing in God's creation. If you remember what Matt read us from Genesis chapter 1, what was the first thing that God spoke into the heavens and the earth in creation? Let there be light. And then it says that God saw that the light was good. What a blessing light is. He separated it from darkness and he called the day, the light day and the darkness he called night. And he did that before he had created the sun. So what was the source of that light? When God said, let there be light, there was no sun. So he wasn't speaking the sun into existence at that point. He was speaking light itself because he is the father of light. So what was the source of that light on day one before the sun had been created? The Bible suggests that it came from the father of lights himself when it shows us the end of all things in the new heavens and the new earth where it says that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. So the sun is just a shadow. The sun is just a metaphor. The sun is just a mediation of light, but all light comes from God. He is the true light, which enlightens everything, and he has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is good and pleasant to us, isn't he? And James wants us to remember that. And so he's going to show us three things this morning in James chapter 1. First, that every good thing is a gift of God shining down on us. Secondly, that this good God who shines down on us has no darkness and third, that God has shown his perfect light on us in his word to recreate us for his glory. So let's look at James 1, 16 to 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen? So the first thing James wants you to see this morning, the first thing the Holy Spirit of God wants you to see this morning in his word is that every good thing is a gift of God shining down on us. 
That's in verses 16 to 17. But before we think about these actual gifts of God that are shining down on us, we should note how James introduces the idea with a phrase the biblical authors often use to introduce important ideas. He says, do not be deceived. You notice the Bible will often start important sayings with that. Do not be deceived. We're in a spiritual war, and the weapon of our enemy is lies. And our weapon is the word of God, the truth. What James calls here the word of truth in verse 18. So regular exhortations to not be deceived are important. That's why they're all throughout the Bible. Don't let anybody trick you. Do you know the truth of God's word? Are you rooted enough in the truth of God's word that you can't be deceived by people who come in twisting God's word to try to lead you astray from the truth? Are you rooted in sound doctrine? Do you understand that the church, God's people, inspired by his Holy Spirit, have been wrestling with this word for thousands of years and and refining our understanding of it? And are you acquainted with that, with sound doctrine, so that you understand the word and it's not just your own private interpretation of it, so that you can't be deceived by the enemy. It happens to people. People regularly get deceived by the enemy. And so James starts, do not be deceived. My beloved brothers, he's telling this because he loves them. Don't be deceived. And so when this phrase is used, I always try to pay extra attention and ask myself, okay, like in what ways might I be deceived about what's coming? Because I'm being commanded here not to be deceived, so we should take note. There's a reason the Holy Spirit doesn't waste words, does he? He doesn't, the Holy Spirit's not just like, this will kind of spruce it up, make it seem extra holy if I put this in. That's not how God works. He means every word. So when he tells you don't be deceived, think, okay, let me pay even more careful attention to this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Every good thing you have is from God. Every single one of them is a gift from your heavenly Father. Even your hardships and trials, and isn't this what James has been showing us over and over throughout this first chapter, even your hardships and trials are gifts from God to test your faith and builds you into you spiritual endurance and toughness to endure to the crown of life. Even the hard things in your life are gifts from God because they give you the endurance that you need to make it to everlasting life. Do you want everlasting life? Do you want it bad enough to have to endure some trials in order to get it? And if so, then knowing that those trials produce the endurance that gets you there, you can even see that the trials, the hard things in your life, are part of the good gifts that your Father in heaven is giving to you. What a loving Father we have. So don't be deceived thinking that God gives bad gifts. Thinking that God is sometimes darkness and sometimes light. One way we might be deceived about this is thinking that we got the good stuff on our own apart from him. He gives me salvation and forgiveness of sins, and that's nice, and that's good, I need that. But I, you know, got 
my house and my car and my money and my stuff. I did that. And, you know, I'm really grateful that God gave me some of those spiritual things. But that's not how it works. God gives you everything. Don't be deceived. The devil would love to tempt you with pride, thinking thinking that you autonomously got the light you have on your own apart from God. Any light you have is a gift from God. And you may not boast in it. Or the devil would love to deceive you into the sin of double-mindedness. Thinking that the hard things in your life mean that God doesn't love you. That God isn't good. That God isn't coming through on His promises. That God isn't all that He said. Maybe He's a little too good to be true. That His promises don't all the way come to pass. And the enemy would love to deceive you about that. Are you ever tempted by that? When hard things come to think, God, don't you love me? Aren't you merciful? Why would you bring this into my life? Don't be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. If you would stop and try to count all the good gifts and all the perfect gifts that are coming down to you from the Father of lights right now, how would that change your mindset? If you just stopped and just started counting them and started thinking about all the wonderful things that you have right now from God. Does it happen to any of you guys that some mornings you wake up and your mind just starts listing off all the problems in your life? All the things that are all the things that aren't going to be good that day, all the things that you don't like, all the inconveniences. Does it happen to you? <laughs> you wake up some mornings and it's just a, a tally just begins. You don't even have to try. It just starts going through. Oh, I got this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem. But it's so valuable to stop. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, stop just listening to yourself and start preaching to yourself. Don't just let the, that... that that list of all the things that are wrong and all the things we might be bitter about or complain about, just run and be, yeah, and actually there's a few more I could add to that, but instead stop that and say, what are all the things that I have to be grateful for? What are all the things that God is shining down from heaven on me right now? To think of all the good that God is doing. I think the enemy really wants to deceive us on this. I think he really wants us to go through life just grumbling and not thinking about how good and how generous our Father in heaven really is. We've got to just stop and count. Just count our spiritual blessings. They're enumerated in Ephesians 1. We can just open up our Bible and look at Ephesians 1 and think about our adoption in Christ Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and our predestination from before the foundations of the earth and our sanctification and our union with Christ and all the blessings that we have. You can think about our social blessings, our church family that we have, our family, our friends, all the people that God has brought into our life to do us good. We can think about our practical blessings and getting to live in Durango and having jobs to work so that we can provide for our families and have what we need. And having a home and having food and on and on down the list, even to the smallest possible things. If you're struggling with bitterness 
or with a lack of thanksgiving, with a lack of rejoicing in all circumstances, just get a piece of paper and start writing down three things that you're thankful for every single day. And just start making a list and practicing thankfulness. Because God really is pouring out good gifts and perfect gifts on us all day long, every single day. And even at night, while we're asleep, unconscious, he is just doing us good. And it's so good to remember that. I didn't really think about how full of sunshine all my pictures are. Because it's just where I live. I'm just used to it. Durango is just really sunny. Until my nephew said that. And it was like, oh man, it is really sunny in Durango. And what a blessing that is. It's good to stop and remember and give thanks. And in the same way, we shouldn't forget how abundantly generous God is to us because we just live in it and swim in it every single day. It's just where we live in the blessing of God. But we shouldn't take it for granted. We should stop and think about it and enjoy it and thank Him for it. And know that God, God's gifts are good and perfect, even the hard ones. Even the tests that He sends to purify us are perfectly good. So that's the first thing that James shows us, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And the next thing that he wants us to see is that this God of light, who gives these good and these perfect gifts, has no darkness in him at all. And that's verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. These gifts are not accidental. They're not impersonal. They're not automatic. They're not random. All the good things in your life are personal gifts, personalized gifts, gifts from a personal God, a loving Father. Notice that James doesn't call him the manufacturer of lights. All good gifts come from the great factory of lights in the sky. Not the abstract source of lights. Not even just light itself as an abstract, impersonal concept, but the Father of lights. Our society today is falling apart one major source of the collapse and the sorrow and the hardship and the decay is the lack of good, faithful, loving fathers. But the world, the creation, is not fatherless. Many families are fatherless. Many of you may have grown up without a good, loving, faithful father. But the creation is not fatherless. And in Christ... None of us are fatherless. We have a good, good Father in heaven who loves to give us good gifts. And our problems come from our rebellion against this good Father, but not from Him who continues to send His reign on the just and the unjust alike as He kindly and mercifully continues to provide for us even as we're rebelling against Him every day. God is the Father of lights, and He's the Father of lights. All light comes from Him. Natural light, physical light, actual photons that come and bounce off of you, come from God. 
They warm you up. They illumine everything so that you can see that's from God. Also, the light of truth, the true light that encourages you, that shows you who God is and who you are and what his promises are and how his world works, that comes from God. Truth is not automatic. Truth is not abstract. Truth and understanding are a gift that come from God. Imagine the chaos in your mind if there were no truth that you knew you could grab a hold of. If there was nothing that you knew was nailed down. Imagine the chaos of trying to live in a world in which there were no fixed points. It would be like being in a sea with no horizon point, just casting around. The light of goodness comes from the Father of lights, in which God is faithful to us and shows us the way to live virtuously in this world. All light comes from God. Physical light, the light of truth, moral light. When when the Gospels, when the Gospel of John talks about light, when 1 John, which is infused with this theme of light, talks about light, it's talking about truth and goodness. All light comes from God, who is the Father of lights. And this Father of lights does not change. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is immutable. He does not change. He is good. He is light. He is truth. And He is always completely and perfectly so. There is no variation. There's no change. There's not even a shadow from turning. That's literally what it says. There's no shadow from turning. There's, God is light and He's not crooked in one spot such that it casts a shadow from Him. He just is pure light. As John says it in 1 John 1.5, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. There's none. Both of them pile up the words to communicate this, right? John says, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He piles on the words to show you there's no darkness, not even a little bit. James is doing the same thing. With him, there's no variation. There's not even a shadow due to turning. There's none. There's no hint of darkness. God is all light, and he does not change. He's perfect and infinite and eternal. As the London Baptist Confession says, he is self-existent, and infinite in being and perfection. He is unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, in every way, infinite, absolutely holy, perfectly wise, wholly free, completely absolute. God is unchanging because there is nothing for him to grow into. There is no way for God to improve on his being. There is no way for him to become more powerful, more knowing, more loving. God is infinite. And there's no lack such that he could grow to to expand his abilities, to expand his goodness. He is fully good. There's no variation, no shadow due to change. There is nothing that God could change to that would not make him less than he is and he will never deny himself. 
There's no shadow cast from turning. It's all only pure light coming forth from God. Don't be deceived about who God is. Don't listen to the slander against him that comes constantly from the world, from the devil, or from your own flesh. We constantly hear God's name used as a slur attached to any bad thing, taken in vain, complained against, accused of some wrongdoing of, if God really were good, then would this be the case? How often we hear these kinds of things. How often we're tempted to think these kinds of things, but they are not true. We should rather meditate on God's infinite goodness. We should fix it in our minds and give thanks to Him continually that God is the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is perfect. And what comfort flows from that truth. The third point James wants us to see is that God has shown His perfect light on us to recreate us for His glory. To illustrate this point, James goes to the pinnacle of the light that God has shown on us. Every good gift comes from God. Every perfect gift comes from God. But he goes to the greatest gift of all, our salvation, in order to illustrate it. And in this one short verse, James tells us all kinds of things about God's abundant generosity in our salvation. Look at verse 18 again. Of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the pinnacle of the good and perfect gifts that God is shining down on you from heaven. The central focus of the salvation that James highlights here is our being born of God. The center of verse 18 is that he brought us forth tells us how he did it, it tells us why he did it, it tells us to whom he did it, but the central idea is he brought us forth. The word doesn't just mean to bring something to the front, but it means to give birth to something, to bring something into being. God has birthed you. He has brought you into being. It's what theologians call regeneration. Watch how John traces the same path from the light of God shining into the world to the new birth. Listen to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Try to, tra- try to trace this theme. It's the same thing. I think James probably has this passage in mind. It goes from God, His light shining down on us in Christ, to our being born again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The light came into the world to make people children of God by having them be born again by the will of God. Jesus is the true light of men. He has shown in the darkness. God wanted his blessings to be, he wanted you to see just how real and tangible and personal they are. And so he sent his very son, light itself, into this world to live and to walk among us so that all who believe in him are born again of the Spirit. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not just your natural birth. That's not what he's talking about. In one sense, we're all, God has given us all life that you're born, that you're here, that you're taking breath. God gave that as a gift to you, but that's not the birth that John's talking about. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, not something that you worked up, not something that you did or accomplished, but of God. You have been born of God. You who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been born again. You have been recreated. You have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. We are children of the light born of the true light of God that has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. If you've put your trust in God, repented of sin, you have been born again. You have been regenerated, recreated, brought forth by the word of truth, as James says. And this new birth, this being brought forth by the word of truth, is crucial. Because Jesus says that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What a gift that God has sent down from heaven for you. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. But you have been made alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You've actually been given real, actual life from the dead in your inner being. You have been made alive to the glory of God. You have been given a new heart so that you can obey Him and walk in His ways. You have been made saints or holy ones of God by the gift from heaven. So that's James's first point is that of, God, is of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He tells us the source of our new birth, the means of our new birth, and the goal of our new birth, all in this one little verse, because he wants us to meditate on all the goodness that God has rained down on us in Christ Jesus. Meditate on it. Dwell on it. If you're bored by it, what are you thinking? <laughs> First, the source of our new birth from God. 
of his own will, he brought us forth. This was the same thing John 1 said, right? Those who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And so James says, of his own will, he brought us forth. This new birth is not a physical birth of blood. It's a spiritual birth. It didn't come from the will of the flesh, not of the will of man. Did you ask yourself, did you will yourself to be born the first time? Just like of blood in your body. Did you will yourself to be born? Did anyone consult you? You didn't will yourself to be born the first time, and you didn't will yourself to be born again. You were born not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. You couldn't will yourself to be born the first time, and you couldn't will yourself to be born again. You wouldn't do it. You loved death, and you were hostile to God. And so he caused you to be born again by his sovereign will. What a gracious gift. If God had not intervened into your hardness and deadness of heart in sin, you would be bound for hell and wrath for all eternity. But God intervened with his mercy and his grace to cause you to be born again, to trust in him, to forgive you for your sins so that you are headed for the crown of life. What a wonderful gift. How merciful of God to intervene as you were happily headed to hell. Not wanting him, not choosing him, but rebelling against him. But he stepped in and in his sovereign mercy gave you faith and repentance and new life in him. What a wonderful God. Of his own will, he brought us forth. What completely undeserved blessing. What grace God has shown to you. Next, James shows us the means of our new birth. So that's kind of the source of it. Of his own will, he brought us forth. And he tells us the means God used. By the word of truth. What means did God use to awaken us to new life in him? To call you out from the dead like he did to Lazarus. When you were spiritually dead, in rebellion against him, hating God, headed for hell. What means did he use to call you to life? The same means he did for Lazarus. His word said, Lazarus, come forth. And there came Lazarus out of the tomb. What's happening? Same way he called you alive. He used the Lago Aletheos, the word of truth. His mighty, powerful word came to you. You heard it by the mouth of someone, or maybe you just read it to yourself from the Bible. You heard the message of the gospel. You heard the word of truth, the word of Christ, and it created life in you. This same word that we're meditating on right now, this word from James that we're looking at and pondering and opening up, this is the same word that he used to give you this wonderful gift of salvation, to call you to life, to speak spiritual life into you. As the Bible says, God's able to speak in things that don't exist, come into being. And so he did with your new birth, with your new life by this 
word, by the Bible. Specifically, the central message of the Bible, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of God is such a treasure that God has given to you. Do you remember that? Do you remember what a treasure the word of God is to you? Do you remember what light and life there is for you in the Bible? How easy it is to dismiss it, to think it's not that important, to leave it sitting on the shelf. But what a treasure of wisdom and life there is stored up for you in the Scriptures, in your Bible. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In your light do we see light. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's how you came to be born again. And it's the pure spiritual milk by which you grow. It's the food that you eat as you grow. Thank God for your Bible. For the word of truth to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You see that the light of God that He's pouring down on you is just pouring through the Scriptures. It's pouring out of the Bible for you. Don't leave it closed. Open it up and take it in and open it up and read it to your family and read it to your children and read it to your spouse and read it with your friends and proclaim it to anyone who will listen. And thank the Father of lights for giving you the light of His Word. And walk by it. Know it. And learn it. And study it. And read it. And meditate on it. And pray through it. And believe it. And talk about it. And obey it. And teach it. And proclaim it. And spread it. It is the Word of life. So right at the heart of the good gifts that God is shining down from heaven is our salvation. Our being born again. We've seen that it's from His will It's through the word of truth. And lastly, he tells us the goal for which we are born again. The end, the aim. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is a striking thing to say. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What's the goal of God choosing us according to his will to regenerate us by the means of his word? It's so that we can be a kind of first fruits of of his creatures. What are the first fruits? This isn't just an empty metaphor. The first fruits are what belong to God. The first fruits are what you bring to God. As part of the Passover festival, Israel was to bring the first fruits of their harvest. When the, when the harvest, when the land was just starting to produce fruits, they were to take the very first fruits. Like in our garden, we have raspberries and we watch and strawberries and we go out and we watch and we look and we find and everybody's really excited when the first strawberry comes and turns red on the vine and who gets to eat it right it's an honor of who gets to eat that first strawberry that comes out who gets to eat that first plump raspberry who gets to have it well israel was to bring all their first fruits to god nobody eats it they bring it and they offer it up and they give it to god The first things harvested of the food every year was to be offered as a sacrifice. 
Just like the firstborn of their children were to be given to God by being redeemed so that they could then bring him the gift. They redeemed the firstborn child saying, this firstborn of my children, this is yours. The first fruits of myself, of my body are yours. The firstborn of the animals were given to God. The first fruits of the crop were offered up to God as a sacrifice because he is worthy of that first honor because it all came from him because every good and perfect gift came down from heaven from the father of lights and so we acknowledge that and we recognize it as we give it back to him we're here giving god the first fruits of our week right now i know we almost kind of pragmatically think of monday as the first day of the week but it's sunday it's the lord's day this is the first day of the week and we wake up and it's a new week then things are fresh And we take ourselves and our hearts and the first energy and the first strength of the week and we bring it and we present it to God. And we say, this week again belongs to you. We present ourselves, not just giving them the the dregs of the end of a long weekday, but the first fresh hours of the new week we offer to God because he's worthy of the first fruits of everything. And here James says that God brings us forth regenerates us, recreates us, saves us to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He gives us new life, he makes us his own, and then he gives us to himself as the first fruits of all mankind. What an honor that God has bestowed on us. That he is calling you the first fruits. You who have been born again, he separates out from all of his creatures. He separates you out. He bestows on you the honor of being the first fruits of all his creatures, which he then offers up to himself. That you would be presented to God as a first fruit offering. It's only by his grace, only by his will, that we could be counted as such a thing. I mean, me, who was a rotten apple, not worthy to be presented to God. The kind of fruit that rotted before it even came to full ripeness and just fell on the ground and was there rotting. Not worthy to be presented to anyone. Just to be stirred into the compost pile. And yet, he transformed me and caused me to be born again. And he did the same for you into a fruit that God would delight in. In fact, honored you by calling you the first fruits that are presented to him for his delight. What grace God has demonstrated to us in Christ Jesus. He is making us the first fruits, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so we present our bodies as living sacrifices to him. We give him ourselves. We give him our lives. We give him our hearts to do with whatever he sees fit. And we do it overflowing with thankfulness to the Father of lights who gives every good gift and every perfect gift from heaven. Do you perceive with the eyes of faith the light of God shining upon you? Do you see how much grace he is showering down upon you from heaven? Rejoice, give thanks, and praise the Father of lights. Amen? Let's do that together now.